Announcer Schedule Podcast. Mike Gill, Phil DeMont Mollen, and we are now joined by the lead race announcer, NASCAR, on NBC. And uh, it's Rick Allen joining us right now to tell us a little bit more about his journey uh, to the booth and some of the other things that you might hear his voice on on top of uh, NASCAR on NBC. Rick, thanks for joining us here on the Announcer Schedule Podcast. Well, I appreciate being here, Mike, Phil. Thank you guys for inviting me, bringing me in. Excited to be here with you. And I guess just listening to you know that that call back at Homestead Miami Speedway uh, with Jimmy Johnson uh, joining Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt or Dale Earnhardt. Uh, I didn't know this was going to be like a test. Are you guys critiquing me on this, or how are we how are we going about this process? Yeah, Phil's got a bunch of uh, questions. He wants to try to uh, re see what your retain is like. I'm in trouble then because I'm old. Well, uh, Rick, tell us a little bit about it. A couple of weeks ago, we had Larry Colmas, who does the horse racing Triple Crown, which is a very unique sport to call, and NASCAR very unique as well. Like, uh, you know, this is something where uh, you have kind of uh, become the voice for NBC and that. And tell us kind of your journey on, you know, how you get into calling uh, motorsports and, and, and NASCAR to the point where you are the most recognizable voice in that field. Well, it's exciting. Uh, my path, I think, was different than most people. Uh, I didn't have a background in radio or television uh, before I started. I was actually a public address announcer at the University of Nebraska, and I was announcing football and basketball and virtually every sport that they would allow me to announce. And then uh, I was also a fundraiser, and one of the donors at the University of Nebraska bought a dirt track. Uh, it's Eagle Raceway. It was just outside of Lincoln and asked me to come and announce at his dirt track. And I had no knowledge of uh, anything of racing, anything to do with it. I dragged race when I was like 16 years old, my own car, but that's about the only racing I'd really followed. Uh, but he talked me into it, said, you know, come out and do it. And I did. And for two years, I was the track announcer there. It's a, just a little uh, dirt track in you know, Eagle, Nebraska. And a NASCAR announcer came out uh, or excuse me, a NASCAR official came out and said uh, that NBC and Fox were looking for pit announcers, uh, fresh face, young guys, you know, to get involved in the sport and told me to send a demo tape in. I didn't even know what a demo tape was, so I didn't have anything to send in. About two weeks later, the owner of the track called me and said, hey, they're still looking for your demo tape. And I was like, I don't, I don't have anything. And so Ultimately, I sent a commercial that I had done with Barry Switzer and Tom Osborne, a cell phone commercial, so that they could see what I looked like. Um, and then there was a, a couple of the calls from the dirt track that I sent as well. And sure enough, both Fox Sports and NBC called me. Uh, Fox Sports auditioned me. I went to uh, Charlotte, where I live now. But at the time, went from Nebraska to Charlotte, auditioned with Daryl Waltrip. Uh, he's the reason that I don't use my real last name. Uh, which my real last name is Schweiger. Uh, but when I introduced myself to Daryl Waltrip, you know, I said, hello, Mr. Waltrip. Uh, it's an honor to meet you and, and, you know, be sitting beside you. My name's Rick Schweiger. And he kind of, you know, shook my hand, looked down, and about three seconds later, he turned back around. And he said, Schweiger? Ain't no Schweigers in NASCAR. <laughs> and so right away, I was like, well, this is, this is probably not the start I was looking for uh, during the audition. But it went off great. Um, one thing led to another, and then Fox hired me a couple of years later to call the, the at the time, Craftsman Truck Series. Um, did that for, worked with Fox for almost a decade, uh, little, actually a little over, um, calling that 
Xfinity races, just a lot of different things for Fox. And then uh, NBC called uh, when they took over the broadcast in 2015. So they called me in 2014 and uh, we struck a deal. And now I'm at the, the place I want to be. I always, I always strive to be at the highest level of whatever I'm doing. And so to be able to call the Cup Series races uh, on Sundays is, is really an honor and uh, a great privilege. Now, Phil, are you going to drill him on his uh, first ever race? Do you remember who won? Uh, no, I'm not going to test his memory quite to that extent. But, Rick, thanks a lot for, for, for joining the show. Really, really sure. appreciate you coming on. But I'd love to hear, as far as those championship scenarios and those big races, kind of like the, the clips that we did see, you know, what, what are the differences when that much is at stake and on the line as far as how you approach the broadcast and, you know, how NBC approaches it? And what are some of the challenges when, you know, a championship's on the line or, you know, there's sort of these historically significant moments? Yeah, we've obviously moved from uh, – we've moved in different ways to crown champions in NASCAR uh, from just a – simple point situation to a playoff scenario uh, to the point now where it, you know, it does come down to the final race uh, where we, we won't know who the, the champion is until the checkered flag flies uh, of the final race. And that's very different, but it also makes it a little bit simpler for an announcer uh, because well, I should say I shouldn't say simpler, but it also it makes it simpler, but also a little more difficult because now we have four possibilities of winning a championship. When it was just a point situation, you might come in and you would know who the champion was already, but you would call the race like normal. Now you have four drivers that all have an opportunity, so you you plan, put together. I write things uh, for that very moment, uh, the possibility of whichever driver could win the championship. Uh, I put stuff down so that I, you know, I, every other race I fly off the cuff and just whatever is kind of hitting me at that moment is the way I call it. But when it comes to the championship, I've always thought of my role as being historic uh, because I think every race will be seen down the road. Uh, at some point in time, somebody's going to want to know some historical fact about something that took place. And I want to make sure that I try to tell what happens and why it's a big event and why it's a big win every race. And that's why a lot of people talk about um, my enthusiasm, which I'm a very enthusiastic announcer. And I will get people that will claim that I'm you know, making that up. Well, I know my role is that at some point in time, even if it's a, a guy that wins by seven seconds and the race is never in question i know that some point in time that race is going to get replayed or at least the finish of that race could get replayed and i want it to sound like it's a very exciting thing for that person to win that race and i know that it is an exciting thing i mean drivers will get out of their cars every single race and say i just don't know when i'll ever win again or if i won and so every race for me is an exciting uh, happening. And so that's why every race, the end of every race, I want to make sure that um, it gives its, it gets its due of the excitement that they've put into it, uh, that the people who have watched for, you know, three or four hours have engaged in it, uh, and that it has a great finish. 
And another variable I would imagine you have to contend with quite a bit that other sports don't have to deal with is the idea that every track is different. You know, you, this past weekend you were at a road course. Uh, there's the super speedways like Daytona and Talladega. There's the intermediate tracks. There's the short tracks, each with a different feel, a different you know character to them, but also just the logistics of being able to see all the action. Can you kind of take us through those challenges and, you know, how that differs week to week for you? Yeah, even even repeating, like going back, for example, uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway is going to have its second race of the year uh, with this new next-gen car, and it will be different from the first race. Even though we're going back to the same facility, it's a different time of the year, the temperature's different, the weather's different, and the knowledge of the crews is all different. And so, yes, you you may have the same 38 drivers that are in the field but they all have a different history at each racetrack because every racetrack is different. And so you prep for that, you plan for that. Uh, we just had a production meeting where we were talking about Atlanta and the fact that Atlanta, uh, I read a book uh, a long, long time ago when I first got in the sport, Phil Parsons handed it to me. Uh, and it was about the history of racing in NASCAR. And it talks about the history of Atlanta and how important the the city of Atlanta and the area of Atlanta was to stock car racing uh, back in the 50s, you know, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and uh, really amazing. So we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about and tell the story of how you know here's where the race uh, racing started uh, and how it has changed so dramatically to where. Atlanta Motor Speedway is now considered a super speedway, and nobody would have ever thought, you know, a mile and a half racetrack, you would see pack racing and a super speedway kind of feel to this racetrack. But that's exactly what it has become. And so that's just, that's one of the interesting tidbits of going to a different racetrack every single week and, you know, kind of knowing the history, learning the history and educating the fans on history. Hey, Rick, uh, you did mention about writing stuff down for each guy, you know, something. How, do you have a, a bunch of cards? Is it typed out? How, where are you writing this down to where, hey, this guy's coming around the back stretch. I need to get what I wrote for this. I think that's fascinating for people to figure out how and why, you know, where you're doing this to get that kind of preparation. So I, for the championship race, I have one sheet that has the four guys on it. Um, and I just make sure that I have my finger on the guy who's going to win so that I don't say the wrong one, but yeah. of course, uh, that would never or should never happen. But, um, but I also, uh, I have some phenomenal statisticians that help me, uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, we collect information. Social media is amazing now to where you can get little tidbits about what's happening with, you know, a person's life. I make those notes. I have a binder that has every driver in it. Wow. Uh, it talks about all the information of that driver, the career of that driver, um, the you know story of how they got into racing, uh, the important individuals that have helped them get to where they are, uh, all that information, because that's what I've always felt my role as the play-by-play -play announcer or the lead announcer in a broadcast is to make sure that we know as much about a person as the fans want to know. So if there's ever a person that wins a race or that has a great run or something, 
I want to be able to make sure that there's a connection with the fans at home that they can say, oh, my gosh, you know, he started out, uh, you know, racing motorcycles like I did. Or he was, uh, you know, he has diabetes or, you know, the, just a connection that you can make so that every fan at home, you kind of want to have uh, some way to connect with the driver. And that's one of the great things about the sport is that every week we see the same, you know, 36, 38 drivers. But all the fans can have a different fan. I mean, they can be a different, they can have a different favorite driver. They can be a fan of, you know, one driver or multiple drivers uh, because they're going to see them every single week. And that's, I think, the uniqueness about NASCAR and how I try to make sure that the fans have as much knowledge as, as they can consume uh, to find out if they have a favorite driver out there or not. Really neat. Uh, Rick, now, uh, off of NASCAR, you, you know, people may have recognized you calling some uh, basketball and some other sports. So kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, how, the difference in doing a basketball game and you've done some Olympic sports. Yeah, so when I first went to NBC, I asked them if it would be possible if I did some of the other sports uh, because NBC obviously has uh, a lot of uh, Olympic sports and things. My background, actually, I was a track and field athlete at the University of Nebraska, and so I have a you know great knowledge of track and field and that area of Olympic sports. Uh, so I asked them if that would be a possibility. They said, sure. Uh, that would be great. My son is, uh, is now actually going to be a professional basketball player. And so I also said, Hey, you know, you have the, you've got a 10 basketball. I love basketball. I love college basketball. It's a great you know sport for me. And I asked if, you know, they'd allow me to call some of those games. And so that's happened. Uh, of course, motorsports, uh, IndyCar, um, IMSA, there's been you know numerous things that I've had the opportunity to uh, call those races and love it. I love every sporting event. That's that's kind of one of the great things is I've grown up and I've been involved in sports. I've worked in athletic departments and in the sports industry my entire life. I love sports. It doesn't matter what it is. I love sports. And so this is a great opportunity for me working with NBC Sports to be able to diversify a little bit, uh, do some other sports. You know, calling the Boston Marathon was incredible. Calling the track and field world championships, incredible. Um, I think I'm probably one of the only guys to ever uh, call Usain Bolt or only have called Usain Bolt losing races. Uh, every other announcer that's ever called track and field got to call wins. I never did. So uh, I hope that wasn't. <laughs> that was one bad for me and Usain Bolt, but uh, it, it's just it's been there's been some great opportunities that have presented themselves to me, and I've been uh, very blessed and, and thankful that that's been out there and, and been available for me. In your NASCAR on NBC on air team, uh, you guys have some some great chemistry. Uh, a number of these folks with you, Rick, have been around for for a number of years. Uh, on air, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Burton, Steve Letarte, your analyst, uh, Marty Snyder, Dave Burns, and Parker Kligerman, your pit reporters. How do you manage it all as far as, you know, making sure each of these voices gets heard and also, you know, just sort of the, the flow of the broadcast to make sure it goes as seamlessly as possible? We've got a great producer. Uh, Matt Marvin produces our NASCAR on NBC uh, content, and he's amazing. A uh, very talented young man. Um, 
he's, you know, he would be the conductor, I would say, if we were an orchestra. Uh, so he is constantly uh, telling me which direction we go. And then I try to seamlessly weave in, you know, the different voices uh, or the stories. We always, uh, in broadcasting, as you guys are very familiar with, you have a talk back button. Uh, which you can talk back to your producer, director, uh, the different people that are on headset that doesn't go on to air or production. And I think what, uh, what happened early on is I have never been of the mindset that I don't, I don't need to hear myself talk. I don't need to hear my voice on the air. I would much rather be able to not be the conductor, but be the person who can tell a story using multiple people uh, to tell that story. And so uh, in the booth, it's hand signals, it's um, just maybe a look from Steve or Jeff or Junior. Uh, on pit road, you, you know, Marv will tell us, uh, he will come on, it, on in my ear and say, you know, Marty can add on uh, the 48, Marty can add on this, uh, the story, Marty's you know, got good audio from in car, uh, from Chris Busher, he'll tell us those things in my ear, then I'm able to weave it in. Or Steve, Jeff, Jr., if they're talking at the time, they also uh, are able to incorporate. I think the chemistry part of it is that we spend a lot of time away from the racetrack together, um, and a lot of time. Uh, we just have similar interests, and we like each other's company. Uh, we've vacationed together numerous times. Uh, we just, we just enjoy hanging out with each other. And that kind of, I think that comes across on the air, uh, in the sense that, you know, we're having fun and we love that people can watch the race with us. Uh, they can enjoy the race with us because that's exactly what we're all doing. We're all enjoying the race and trying to make sure to tell the story of what's happening, but really just taking it all in and consuming the race together. Naturally, we talk about the schedules quite a bit for the announcers here on the announcer schedules podcast. And, you know, I don't think everyone realizes that NASCAR is different from other sports where the event starts several days prior to the the big race on on Sundays. Um, can you take us through your typical schedule for a race weekend when you arrive at the track and, you know, ultimately uh, head back home or to your next destination? And perhaps there's a story as far as, you know, either a close call or a, a getaway that, you know, our listeners might be interested in as well. So uh, our exec, one of our executive producers um, is Jeff Banky, and he wants us to be at the racetrack the night before any type of broadcast is going to take place. Uh, with the people that I work with, we have an opportunity to travel day of a little bit more um, just because of schedules and availability of travel. And so we will normally get in either the night before the first broadcast or the morning of uh, the first broadcast. We'll spend a lot of time in the garage uh, talking to as many crew chiefs, drivers, uh, key personnel that we can, owners. Um, and then uh, you've got production meetings uh, to go over kind of what the big stories are, the things that you want to talk about during the broadcast. Uh, then of course the broadcast that you do. And then after the broadcast, we always, um, the booth, uh, in particular, we travel together. And so we always kind of break down you know, what we think we did right, what we did wrong, what we want to do better. 
Um, and so that's, it's normally a three to four day weekend for us. And then, like I said, you know, I, I had meetings yesterday. Uh, I, I'll say the date. Uh, I had meetings on Tuesday. I had meetings Wednesday. Um, we'll talk to crew members and drivers via text on the phone on Thursday, and then normally in person on Friday. Uh, so it's, and then of course, you know, Saturday, Sunday races. So really the only day that we're not doing something that is specific to what we're going to do for the weekend is Monday. Normally that's about the only day that we don't have something that is specific to either, uh, the Xfinity series race or the cup series race. Uh, an amazing journey, obviously a NASCAR race, you know, unlike any, uh, other sport where a lot of them are timed, you know, obviously there's no clock or anything. Uh, you're just kind of uh, following it along uh, the ins and outs of, of, of uh, how a race can go. I mean, uh, is it easy to pace yourself? I mean, kind of explain to the our listeners, you know, the, the, the intricacies of calling a race where you know, it's very, you know, some of them can be, you can be there for hours, just kind of you know, many people who aren't uh, in tune with NASCAR just saying, hey, you know, what are you watching? What what are you paying attention to on race day during a race? Well, Mike, you joked about it, that Phil was going to ask me about my first race. I will tell you that our first race on NBC uh, was at Daytona. It was a 4th of July weekend. Um, we had rain that delayed the race, and it went all the way into the evening to the point where it was about 3 a.m., I think, when we finally finished the race. Dale Earnhardt Jr. had won, but the significant thing about that race that a lot of people will remember when I mention it was – as Dale Earnhardt Jr. crossed the start-finish line, he talks about looking in his mirror, and you hear a gasp and, uh, you know, like, oh, my gosh, is he okay? Because Austin Dillon got into the catch fence, and the car stopped immediately. So a catch fence is supposed to dissipate the speed of these cars. You know, they're going 200 miles an hour, and Austin Dillon's car got upside down, got into the catch fence, and, you know, tore the front stretch catch fence down, the car came to rest uh, on its top uh, right past the start-finish line, um, but the crews came out and everything. That was 3 in the morning, and we had such a long race coming into it. You know, I called the finish of Dale Earnhardt Jr. crossing the line. The wreck happened, and then we stuck around, obviously, and, you know, the mood changes very drastically from elation of Dale Earnhardt Jr. winning the race to we weren't sure if Austin Dillon was still alive uh, in the car. The, the wreck was so, so uh, traumatic and just, just devastating to what the car uh, looked like. And so it was interesting because that was the very first race that Jeff Burton and Steve Letarte had ever called. And so they immediately knew, I don't want to say anything, so they actually backed up and sat down in chairs. We were sitting there watching the race as it just finished, and we were all excited, and then the wreck, the wreck happened. They literally took a step back, sat down in their chairs, and just looked at me like, we don't want to say a word. We have no idea what just happened. Wow. You're the, you're the play-by-play professional. You take it. You have to prepare for everything. And like you mentioned, you know, races, we've had days that have gone eight, nine hours that we've been on a broadcast and you have to be prepared for that. Um, you just have to know that there's, 
there's a possibility that weather can affect it, uh, crashes can affect it, uh, but you have to be on top of you know every storyline you can possibly have uh, and be able to convey that at any given time. And uh, if uh, right before Rick joined us, we actually had that call uh, to promote you coming on, Rick. So if you want to go back and listen to that call, we did play that uh, exact call that you just chronicled there. So you, you heard it from him, and now you heard him explain it. Uh, so I guess everything comes full circle, like a Seinfeld episode here. All right, Rick Allen, uh, the lead um, the lead race announcer for NASCAR on NBC. Uh, they will be uh, in Atlanta this weekend, and of course the full series for NASCAR uh, on NBC with Rick and the crew, and obviously great stories. Um, it has been uh, really uh, interesting to hear a PA announcer. What's with Nebraska? We had Kevin Kugler on last week on the podcast. All you Nebraska guys are are taking over here. I like Kevin Kugler. Good friend of mine. Uh, worked together when I was back at Nebraska. Great guy. Uh, we tried. We still try to stay in touch, but. Yeah, um, I think one of the reasons is we don't have accents <laughs> that I know of. I might have a Midwestern accent, maybe. I'm not sure. Well, Rick Allen, we appreciate you jumping on the Announcer Schedule podcast and telling us your story. And uh, listen, everybody, for uh, uh, the NASCAR uh, series on NBC with Rick and the crew. Rick, thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it.